of Making a Difference podcast. Thanks for joining us today. About six, seven months ago, the world turned upside down for all of us. COVID-19 hit. We were left to figure out how do we engage customers? How do we work with them in this new world? And what does it mean to our organizations, both communicating internally? What does it mean to our organizations for the future? I had the great pleasure this week of speaking to Lisa Pope, Executive Vice President for the Americas for Epicor Software. We had a, a fantastic conversation talking about how she, her team, and Epicor have responded to this challenge. So I hope you'll enjoy this podcast and, and how much I learned from what Lisa and her team are doing. Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here today. It's a, a subject that I'm very passionate about. Terrific. Well, we all have been forced to be passionate about it uh, <laughs> these days. So anyway, Lisa, just as uh, for a bit of context, if you could give us uh, just a little bit of your background in, in Epicor and, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. So um, I do run sales for the Americas for Epicor. Uh, and Epicor is about a billion dollar software company. We basically sell to um, customers who make, ship and sell uh, what are largely, you know, the goods and services that people need every day. So not to coin an old world, but essential businesses, right? That is our customer, uh, are all the customers that basically did stay open uh, during the pandemic. So uh, we had a really unique challenge at our hands for sure, given the fact that uh, many of them were still having to travel to their jobs every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super. Well, thank you. Well, maybe in kind of kicking this off, it would be interesting to have kind of a, a before and after. How, how did you, did Epicor go to market kind of, say, if you like in 2019 or before the pandemic, and then as we all have been hit and as all our customers have been hit, how have you kind of coped and responded? What are the changes you've made? Yeah, absolutely. So when I think of Epicor, um, you know, and I look at my sales teams, both the teams that focus on our new customers, as well as the teams that focus on our existing customers, uh, for the most part, we prided ourselves on being road warriors, right? We get on a plane on uh, Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning. We travel three to four days a week. We visit our clients in person, um, whether, as I said, that's a prospective client or even an existing customer, spending a lot of time in front of them at their locations, um, usually meeting with 10 to 12 different departments in many cases in the event of, say, a uh, application selection process. Um, so big rooms with 20 people, four or five of us being on site, um, working with that company, getting to know them, walking the shop floor, uh, walking their warehouse, and then uh, obviously working them through sometimes a three to six month uh, selling cycle uh, until that decision is made and finalized. And then after that, obviously going back out uh, with our services teams, implementing that customer on site. Uh, so very much a touch-based, relationship-based um, environment. And, uh, and obviously things um, did have to dramatically change at the start of this year. Um, once COVID hit and we started to understand the, you know, the ramifications, 
um, you know, we did have to make a number of changes to our process. And I think, um, you know, one of the good things is we are obviously a technology company. So all of our workforce at least did have remote workforce capability, right? Everyone had laptops. Um, everybody had the ability to sort of work remotely. Um, but technology aside, that doesn't mean that that was their preference, right? So as I said, just um, looking at my team and, and now all of a sudden them working from home, um, seven by 24, not leaving their house um, and not being used to sort of that environment um, in terms of being in an office. In fact, many people pick sales careers because they don't want to work in an office. <laughs> So, so that was uh, that was a challenge, and, and and I can share later a little bit about how we dealt with that. But I think from a customer perspective, um, that was probably more unique in that a lot of our customers did reach out to us and asked for assistance um, in terms of how do you guys do this? You know, you're used to working remotely. Um, can you share with us lessons learned? Um, which video platform did you go with to work? Did you go with Zoom or Microsoft Teams? Um, and we did make a Microsoft Teams selection, but we shared with our customers maybe why we did that. So we actually found that we could help some of our customers adapt a little bit better to what it meant to be sort of a, a remote uh, workforce. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, just in terms of working with clients, obviously, um, you know, we did have to take each step of our sales process, um, all the discovery that we typically would do on site and figure out how to do that virtually and over the phone. So, yes, using video. Um, yes, phone calls. Um, but, you know, again, since we are big on the relationship angle and that is a big part of sales, I do really believe that people trust people. You know, they will buy software, um, but they trust people and a partnership. And so how you convey trust and partnership with a customer um, or a prospect over video was something that, you know, we had to really think about. Um, and that meant little things like um, teaching our sales teams to look at the dots, you know, at the camera, not down at your keyboard right? Um, making sure that, you know, there was like eye contact on video. Yep. Um, and also just a lot of things around um, getting to know, for example, if there were 10 people in a video meeting, making sure that afterwards you followed up by phone um, or email with each of them separately, because sometimes in a group like that over video, um, not everybody is as vocal. So um, just a lot of tips and tricks that we sort of learned that we continued to, to share um, and then when things started to open up, you know, again, it probably gets back to who we are at Epicor, but we felt really strongly that if our customers were open for business, we didn't really have the ability or just as a partner, it didn't feel right sort of not being out there with them. So uh, we did make a conscious effort to, to go be with customers on site where we could and of course, we did leverage people that felt comfortable traveling. So we did quite a bit of workforce and people, you know, the human nature of this and the empathy side of sort of leadership, um, really trying to make sure that um, where we could, we did have people go in person where customers wanted that. And we let the customer sort of dictate the level of engagement they wanted. And I think, honestly, I think that 
really differentiated us a little bit with our competitors um, and that many of our competition did not travel at all. And we sort of, um, you know, we sort of, as I said, let the client decide. And then we did our very best to try to match that, of course, keeping, you know, our employees and, and, and team safe. Yeah. Let me, uh, I'd like to come back to that point in a moment, but let me go back to just kind of, as you were kind of refocusing the sales organization to get away from being in cars and airports and going face to face, what were some of the biggest uh, things that one you put in place in terms of like teams in, in were there any other tools and how did you get them to adapt to the process and to, and to make, their, make their customers feel more comfortable in, in this kind of media? Well, and I think, you know, you hit it right on the head to start with. I mean, the first thing was to actually sort of, you know, and our CEO started this internally, but this idea that everything should be done on video. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, and that means, you you know, you're up in the morning and you're at your desk and your calls are going to be on video. He did that with us internally on all of our calls. And he felt really strongly that we needed to do that externally. So that also, I think, did help in that we did feel like we could at least see the customer and see their reaction. Um, and I think, you know, that was key. Um, the second thing is we did try to have smaller events instead of these large, for example, I mentioned, you know, an evaluation where we might have 10 or 15 departments involved in that, we really did try to say, okay, let's schedule an hour for each of those departments with four to five people. Um, because once you got too big of a call, you could tell people were disinterested, not as engaged, right? Their video would go off pretty quickly into the call. That's another good sign that something's going on, right? When people start turning off their video midstream. It's easy for people to hide out on video. <laughs> well, yes, yes. So, so we kind of watched for that. So we did encourage, that was another one, sort of our tips and tri tricks and, and what did we learn? Um, and then I, I think the other thing is we did take, um, uh, our selling process and, and literally did look at all the things we traditionally did on site and then sort of did a better job sort of documenting and giving um, our teams tools so that they could conduct them virtually. Mm -hmm. um, I still don't think it's, you know, it, there's nothing like being there on site. And I, I mentioned the factory tour, but, you know, one of the advantages we have is we really know our industries, right? So when my team shows up on site, you know, they know manufacturing, they know distribution, and then they know those sub verticals. So they know the difference yeah. between walking into an aerospace and defense manufacturer and a med device manufacturer. And, and a lot of that knowledge is conveyed when they're walking that floor, yep. you know, and that comes across. And so for us, it's such a big competitive differentiator. And so now we would be doing this on video. And so you know, it's really hard to have somebody walk around with a camera and try to get a sense of their operations. Yeah. Um, and that's when we did start to make decisions to say, hey, maybe there are some meetings that we do try to do on site where we can safely, like big warehouse, six feet apart with a mask on, that might be able to be done safely. Um, and then the other sessions maybe after that are things that could be done um, electronically or, you know, via video. So we did sort of parse that out. Um, but I was very lucky in that um, I think one of the things we tried to do with the teams is, 
is really think about innovation. So instead of looking at this like, okay, this is horrible and bad, it was like, what if what we come up with here is a better process long-term, right? And I think for me personally, I can tell you that after b- priding myself on being a road warrior, I-, I think there were there were a few times I've been in three cities in one day and I thought that was amazing. Well, I realize now how unproductive that can be. And when you multiply that times my entire sales organization, trying to do calls while they're going through security. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're busy and you're active, but the work may not be as focused. Yeah. And so I think one of the things we've learned through this is that we have productive time and then there's time when we should travel versus we have travel time and then whatever's left is sort of that, you know, productive time. And I think that change in philosophy for us um, is one of the things I hope to take forward through this is a change in how how we spend our time uh, during the week and how we can be way more efficient um, without losing, you know, that customer touch. What were some of the things, well, one of the things that we've observed is that people start feeling disconnected, you know, when they were used to going to meetings or going into the office, uh, even though it may have been rarely, you know, there was some sort of bond that people had. And and now, you know, through this kind of video and and at a distance interaction, we find people feeling a little bit disconnected with the organization, uh, with their manager, with their peers, with other people in the organization. What were, were you seeing the same thing? And what were some of the things that you did to kind of help people feel more a part of, of Epicor and, and what Epicor is doing? Yeah, a- absolutely. It, it was a real concern that we had. And we did a few things. Again, I'm going to use my CEO as an example, because I think it also shows a little bit of, you know, the top down uh, concept that he had. And that's probably why I felt very empowered to to make the changes I did on on our sales organization. But he even did a Friday night happy hour at five o'clock on a Friday with his executive team. And he told us to not be in our office. In other words, he was like, go be where you would be, you know, at five o'clock, you know, and if that can't be, you know, at a restaurant or a bar, for example, we were at our lake house. And so we did sort of a virtual happy hour and I was able to kind of show everybody here's my boat and the lake. And so it was kind of like this idea of um, we're working hard, um, but how are we also kind of spending the time that we have? And so um, I thought that was a great sort of way to just kind of get everybody uh, on a Friday night, sort of, okay, we had a a long week and, and now we're kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, relaxing a little bit, but but a great way for us to kind of share a little bit about ourselves personally. Um, one of the things I did with my team, especially um, when COVID hit, and so many of our people, you know, it was really in that March timeframe, April, weather was still cold. Um, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, winter, but this idea, people were feeling closed in. And so we did a, you know, hashtag work from home, walk at lunch, So we tried to get people to not schedule calls during lunch hour and get out for a walk or run, you know, and then take pictures and post them. Um, And then that sort of evolved even with our company. Um, Our uh, head of HR started sort of a 
a whole record, you know, the steps movement and everybody recording their steps. So we had sort of an around the world competition to see if we could get enough steps to cover the whole globe. Um, so some things like that to just encourage people to kind of get out of, of the house um, and out of their four walls. And then a big concern for me, which is something I took a lot of interest in, um, I mentioned the fact that I was concerned about sort of my team, my management team, and some of our seasoned sales reps being the road warriors and actually not being used to being at home and in an office. But I was very concerned about our younger employees that we had recently hired, because most of them literally come right out of college. They're starting a new job and they're used to going into the office every day and being very closely managed by you know, a leader that runs maybe five or six of those new hires. And, you know, they're on the phones all day being closely supervised, right, and structured. But then they also do a lot of fun things together. They go to lunch together. They go out after work together, right? So it's this whole indoctrination of, A, how do you take someone from college and put them, teach them how to be in a disciplined work environment so they learn really good work ethic, but then at the same time, it's also very much a bonding thing where you want them very motivated to be part of Epicor, right? So in the course of COVID, we lost both of those. We lost the ability for them to really be brought into a structured environment and coached, um, and we lost the bonding piece. So that was another area with um, our business development team um, that we really you know, made sure that, that we played paid close attention to. And I was happy to see um, the management group that, that really ran that team um, really took it upon themselves to, to make sure that they brought as much of that sort of fun thing. Um, you know, it was like, you know, basically everybody had to join at 745 with their cup of coffee call, right, to kind of get everybody going. Then they'd send them off for a couple hours. They got back on the phone at lunch. And then again, doing a few of those fun sort of game happy hour things at the end of the day um, to try to encourage, you know, um, those teams to, to stay together. So I think that's one of the things that really hit us is that different um, skill sets and different age groups in different roles, there were very different needs that we sort of had to really think through mm -hmm. um, and address. And, and I think a lot of people maybe have forgotten about, I don't want to say the youth, but you know, those, those people yeah. that are not really used to being in a real structured environment yet to all of a sudden be thrown to work from home when most of them barely have an apartment. And if they do, they're sharing it with two other people. Um, you know, that was a big, um, I think, challenge that, that we had to really think about and overcome. Well, and what's interesting is they're kind of digital natives, but they're thrust into a work environment that's very different. Well, it, it's probably one of their first jobs, and they're now in a work environment that's very different than they've, they've ever experienced before. And, and so they, you know, have some familiarity with the tools, but, you know, how do we get work done and, and how do we keep going? It's, it's a really interesting. Yeah. Job. And a lot of those early jobs, it's almost like a bullpen environment yeah. where, you know, the manager can overhear, they can coach them. They're hearing what their peers are doing. So there's a lot of learning going on by being part of this open concept sort of training room and, and, you know, they wear headsets, but they do have the ability to kind of, you know, share experiences. And that's kind of, that was harder, you know, to obviously do over video. So that's an area, you know, that we've definitely had to put extra focus on. Well, that kind of gets me to kind of another area 
both internally and with our customers, it's it's something I've kind of framed as kind of the communications loss. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think that, well, well, for instance, uh, a lot of our work is we're in big conference rooms with lots of people around uh, solving really tough problems or working on strategy and so on. And you kind of get so that you're reading the room or you're looking at body language that's going on around the room or you get so much accomplished in kind of sidebar conversations or those quick walks down to grab a new cup of coffee or something like that. And I was recently talking to a professor at UC Berkeley on this and he kind of reminded me, and I may have the number wrong, but it, it, you know, something like 70 plus part of communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And, and we were looking, and he said, well, this mechanism where we're looking at each other on video doesn't fill a huge amount of that. So how do you fill the communications gaps? What, if, you know, particularly as you engage your, your customers, what have been some of the things that, uh, that you had to do to really kind of fill those communication gaps that, you know, we get some from seeing each other, but as we said earlier, it's easy for people to check out. Absolutely. Well, and again, one of the things, especially on a new sales cycle, when you don't know the people, Mm -hmm. um, what you just mentioned is extremely key. You know, you're, you're in the room with them. They mentioned something about the weekend. You pick up on that or a football team that they mention a game, you know, and then all of a sudden there's a whole thread around that and and you, you have some sense of that. Um, Or even the body language between each other, watching how they react to each other. Exactly, exactly. So, and you're right. That's one of the reasons, you know, like on these video calls, um, even little things like we had kind of an icebreaker um, best, uh, best practice tip when a video starts off because people come on one at a time, right? So not everybody joins at the exact minute. So making sure as people come in, you're welcoming them. You know, if there was something that happened the day before, whether it's in the news, um, we also got very focused on where people were located. Mm-hmm. So um, literally on all of our um, our prospecting, all of our activity sheets, it's, you know, where are they located? What's happening in their state, right? So, you, you know, obviously from a global perspective, we were doing that country by country. But, you know, if you were based in Texas, like I am, things stayed open longer and reopened sooner. And so many of the opportunities and customers here in Texas, I continued to go actually visit a few of our larger projects. Um, I was able to do that safely and they encouraged it where, you know, if you had a customer prospect in New York, very different environment, right? So we did try to leverage and really look at where are people located? Um, We tried to do a lot more research on the individuals participating in a video conference ahead of time. So, um, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or whatever professional, you know, thing that you go through, just really understanding, okay, where are they from? Um, Anything that you could use to sort of break the ice to your point so that you could mention something like, you know, or just knowing that they are based in this particular city, what's going on there, whether it was COVID or football or sports or whatever, just being more cognizant about how you, you 
um, you know, you're being a little bit more open about things so that um, that you can get people to talk. And then, as I mentioned, um, the team dynamics are very hard to sense. That's probably something, you know, you just really you're not going to be able to do as well. Um, And I think that's, um, you know, part of the reason why we all hope this is temporary. We want to be able to go back to some ability to do that. But those are things to me, like if I look at the areas that that we did not find great answers to. One is is really trying to um, recreate a detailed factory tour um, on video. Just doesn't can't can't do it as effectively. And then secondly, t- to your point, yeah. team dynamics, right? Individual one on one, you know, is okay, but in a team call, it's it's really hard. And and so that's why when people ask me, well, is this the new flavor of sales? It's like there's some great efficiencies out of it, but I would surely miss, you know, that interaction. Um, and like I said, it's a, it is a partnership. We're not selling a product that, you know, gets implemented in, in a week. Um, we're selling products that run companies, businesses, yeah. right? So for me, you know, it is a long-term partnership, um, you know, that, that we're involved in with our clients and, and this is, this is, this has made it hard for sure. Yeah. Yeah, let me, uh, I'd like to come back in a moment to kind of what this means for sales in the future, but we've been into this kind of new mode of operation, both our customers and our own organizations for now six to seven months. What, now that you have that experience, what would you have done differently? What have you learned that you would have done differently back in March, April? Um. Hmm. I think there are some things we could have acted maybe faster, mm-hmm. but, but in terms of the approach we took, I actually, um, I think we did the right thing because, you know, as I said, we really, we let the, um, we let the direction come from our customers. So I think I, from what I've seen, I see a lot of companies that just very quickly shut down put a lot of restrictions on their employees and became very internally focused. And I think one of the things we did right was the fact that um, we did try to listen to what our customers wanted and then, then figured out how would we be able to do that, right? So I think that was probably something that, you know, if we hadn't done that, that'd probably be the number one thing I'd say we should have done because I have uh, a lot of people, not just in this industry, but in other businesses and, and it, it felt like it, it, they just went into an internal mode where, you know, perhaps really concerned about the health and the future of their own company. But I think in a crisis like this, um, you know, that's the worst thing you can do is, yeah. is, is be too inwardly focused. Yeah. Um, but I think for us, you know, we, we probably, um, you know, for the first 60 days or so, I think we thought, okay, this is really bad. And, and so everything's gonna come to a halt and so we sort of, you know, put the reins on a little bit. And the truth is that didn't happen. Um, okay. You know, our customer and, and we didn't know that all of our customers were going to stay open. But I mean, even manufacturing companies that were producing, you know, luxury bath oils switched to hand sanitizer. OK, that's a right. really good example. So they didn't shut down. In fact, they were busier than ever. So I think for us, um, you know, that we we probably thought that this, you know, we took a little bit of a, okay, let's wait and see. And the truth is um, we probably just could have continued at the same pace we were, you know? And I think ultimately um, maybe that was good for the employees because they, you know, did have a little time to figure out, 
you know, and, and I think this is important, but this, um, you know, this real, I mentioned it earlier, but this empathy and this, right. you know, human leadership and really understanding what people have going on in their lives, right? And so it wasn't just the working from home, it's that people now had, and, you know, my children are over, are older, so I didn't have to worry about this, but three young kids at home, all needing bandwidth and laptops, all needing to be sort of supervised while the husband and wife are both still trying to work from home. You know, we just had to really take a different thought process to, um, to what it, what it's like to, to, to deal with this. And I think we, you know, that's another area that I think, you know, in, in retrospect, looking at this, you, you want to, um, you, you want to make sure that you address that, take care of, you know, make sure that everybody's okay first uh, and then they can take better care of the of the customers, right? I think we tried to probably do everything at the same time, but but overall, I'm pleased with the customer approach that we took. Um, and then I I think um, my you know I have a I have a great team of people that and this is the other thing it's not always just on you as the leader. Um, you know there were people in my team that really rose to the occasion and really rethought how can I deliver this now virtually and you know, decisions got made and, and, um, and uh, content got redone, you know, in a way that we could deliver it remotely um, without me having to, you know, drive all that, right? We just had a lot of people step up. And I think for me, that was the other thing was letting innovation happen, right? And letting people actually um, feel that they could create something, empower, roll it out, train it, train everybody on it. I mean, we just, it was amazing to see how people came together and thought thought about things differently. Um, I think we did a statistic, but we did over 1500 virtual selling activities, right? During our last um, three months of our, our year, which ended September 30th, during a time which you would think nobody would be buying anything. Yeah, yeah. The truth yeah. is we were busy, um, you know, and we had a great year. So it, it, it's amazing, you know, so I think if I had to do one thing, I probably, I think we thought things were really going to slow down. We put a little bit of the brakes on and I think, um, you know, in retrospect, we didn't need to do that because, um, you know, we continue to stay extremely busy. Yeah. I think a lot of that depends on, uh, what solutions you offer and what your customer base is, but mm -hmm. we saw, a huge number of our clients just, I mean, actually their business accelerated because their customers are trying to figure out what do we do to deal with this? And, and in kind of the kinds of solutions that Epicor has, you know, that you can really leverage that technology quite a bit to help them cope and deal with these things. So I'm not surprised at all that you saw the, the real um, you know, real growth and opportunity. Let's shift gears a little bit and kind of fast forward to 12 to 18 months from now where, where things certainly will be different, but we'll have vaccines and we'll have more kind of ability to travel and engage. What do you, based on the kind of things that you've learned from selling virtually and, and from seeing what you, you know, forecasting what might happen in 12 to 18 months. What does this mean for kind of your strategy and how you're going to deploy your teams? Uh, uh, yeah, great question. And, and it's all top of mind because we are in our first quarter. So our yeah. 2021 officially started, yay. So 2020 is over for us. Um, so we did have to really think everything when we looked at budgeting, you know, for example, 
travel budget, right? One of the best things about last year is the travel budget was, you know, not used at all, hardly. Um, is that going to continue, right? So for us, we made a conscious decision that we do want to have our teams back out traveling, but not at the same level that we were. So we plan for, you know, about half the travel than we, than we did in prior years, um, partly because we do think, you know, up until about February or so, we're probably going to continue to see limited travel. But then we do want the ability for people, you know, to go back on site. Um, the other thing that we've really done is look at what, where is it effective to be on site and when do you not need to be on site? So for me, internal meetings, that's a big, do we really need to be on site, right? We've done a number of um, management meetings now, um, team meetings on video, um, especially with multimedia where you can share the documents and, and all of that. And I think we realize there are going to still be those events that are big um, that we do want to have people on site because it is maybe more of a morale building event. Um, and, and this may come as a surprise for you, but um, we did actually hold our kickoff, our sales kickoff um, at the end of October in Dallas for the Americas. So we did not bring our global team out um, and people mm -hmm. from Canada could not come. But um, and we and we left it um, sort of open to people. We said, if you're comfortable traveling, we'd like to have you here. Um, and, and we were able to do it in a very safe environment, um, you know, six feet apart with masks. Um, and then if you're not comfortable traveling, we had the same content available virtually. Mm -hmm. And I was really pleased to see um, we had almost 300 attendees come in person. And I think for me, that was important again, because it also sent a strong message to our customers that, you know, we know the industry we serve and we feel that we should be traveling. Um, and this was a good test for us to kind of see. So the good thing is we didn't have any issues from that. So I think that got people's confidence and mm -hmm. part of me running sales, you know, that's what I want to do is I want to instill um, confidence, but also options. So, you know, we didn't make it mandatory, but we said, if you're comfortable coming, we believe we can do it safely. Um, and that was important because of the morale. People got a chance to see each other. You know, we presented up on stage, but we were far apart. Um, we got some excitement back, right, about the new year and the results that we had last year, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for me, you know, really looking at inter anything to do internally, those decisions have to be made and they have to be made for the right reason, but we'll probably do less of our meetings in person um, and certainly do more of them remotely. And then as it relates to the client, again, letting the customer um, sort of decide and, and help guide us, um, I still yeah. think we're probably gonna be in a situation where probably 30% of that sales cycle could be done on, in person where before, you know, in some cases, especially if the customer's, you know, fairly close, even an hour flight, we might have done 70% of it right. in person. Right. So, and again, that is also beneficial for the customer too. It's more productive for them. Um, if they're not having, you know, everybody there for six hour days, we can, you know, put it into two hour chunks over video. So I think we've definitely got um, some lessons learned there. And then I didn't mention the delivery, but I think that's very important is implementing our software. One of the, the big efficiencies that we got from sort of our head of services is that 
there were a lot of things of the implementation that could be done over video as well. So before we tend to always, you know, fly consultants out, they, you know, fly Sunday, they're there Monday through Friday, they leave, and then they go back the next weekend or the next week, you know, and that can lead to burnout as well, right? You know, those kind of travel schedules, if you will. So um, we also learned pieces of the delivery that we felt could be done um, better remotely um, and have, have definitely leveraged more technology to be able to do that. So our implementation um, on-site, you know, mix um, has also fluctuated in, in a more efficient way, which results in less travel. And I think ultimately, you know, for those consultants, definitely less burnout. So I think that's another big plus. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that, that we're seeing is, is the most risk-averse set the rules. So if your customers are risk-averse, you have to figure out how you engage and work with them. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, virtually, and those that are open, you have to figure out how you engage face to face in a, a way that they and your people feel comfortable. And going to a few kind of wrap up questions, a big topic among sales executives these days is this concept called virtual selling. Um, what does virtual selling mean to you? Well, I think virtual selling for me really is the efficiencies um, that we've gained through through having to sell virtually, right? Um, uh, the solution that I'm selling, which again is really mission critical, right? We're we're ultimately going to run a company's infrastructure. Um, to me, cannot be done 100% virtually going forward. It's just not a long term. It's not realistic, both from a selling and a delivery perspective. So I think for me, looking back on this, virtual selling will be leveraging technology to make your sales cycle as efficient as possible while making sure that you're meeting your clients' expectations, demands, and and the nature of their industry, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it won't mean losing that partnership, you know, and that relationship. I still go back to selling um, is about trust, you know, not just about people, but trust in um, the people that are there, that they understand my business, they understand my industry, um, and that they're going to deliver this for my company, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm not sure that can be replaced by, you know, 100% virtual selling process. Um, But it gets back to what are you selling? So for some products, you know, you could make it, I buy things online all the time without ever having to speak to anyone. Um, but I think the nature of what I'm selling, virtual selling for me is going to be um, a piece of our selling process going forward that hopefully will continue to allow us to be, you know, significantly more productive. Yeah, yeah. So if you had to give advice to your peers, the CROs, the top sales executives around the world, what would be the top three things you would tell them to pay attention to or or learn from? Um, Well, I think first of all is obviously put your customer at the center, right? Um, you know, and as a sales, a CRO, it's, it's easy to be just focused on the quarterly number, right? That is our job, right? Is to make sure that, that we're hitting those numbers. But, um, 
but at the end of the day, you know, that, that you're going to get a lot of information and feedback um, and direction on how you should really organize your sell selling uh, process and your approach um, from your customers. And so um, that, that helped us, I think, really speaking to our, our clients on what they needed from us. It also took the focus off of what was going on a little bit and really put it on, oh my, you know, I'll give an example, but Ace Hardware is one of our largest customers and they had the busiest three months that they've ever had. Right. So you think about what that did and, and the volumes they saw that were all running through our systems and and the, you know, the increase in transactions and payment processing and everything. Our teams were swamped, just making sure that we kept them up and running and supported and all of those things. So it, it also kind of you didn't have as much time to think and worry about all this other stuff. So sometimes I think that that's key. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the second thing is it is really also that, you know, um, empathy side of leadership and really making sure that as a leader, um, you, you lead by example, um, but also understand, you know, like for me, I've got a very nice home office. I don't have kids running around. Um, so I have this ability to, to come across professional and do video. Um, I had um, sales reps that were having to work out of their closet, you know, with a piece of poster board behind them. Um, having and understanding that and, and really um, acknowledging it, right? So when, you know, that happens on a call or something unprofessional happens, letting people know it's okay and, you know, just get over it, right? Because I think, um, you know, you've got to have sort of that, that understanding. Um, and then I think the third thing is, is really letting people the freedom, the creativity to innovate, right? Again, I think as a leader, sometimes we expect that we have to have all the answers. And um, we just, we had so many people stepping up to help in so many different ways and think out of the box. And I think ultimately, um, that definitely led to our success. So those would be my my three things. Super, super. What should I have asked you that I haven't so far? Um, <laughs> uh, covered a lot. I think you covered everything. Yeah, I think you well, pretty much covered the gamut. Um, maybe how many times have I gotten on an airplane? <laughs> I, I keep telling my, I, prior to this, I traveled about 85 to 90% of my time. And I, I sometimes tell people that I dream of being in a United club or an yeah. Admiral's club and hearing that my flight has been delayed for two hours. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a sick thing. Yeah, no, it's, about, it's true. I used to complain about that all the time and now yeah. that would be just wonderful. I know, I know. It is, it is hard. It's hard to be, you know, confined. I have uh, made a number of business trips. Um, and again, it's that lead by example, right? So I wanted my team to know that, you know, I was comfortable traveling. And I also felt once everyone took their first flight, um, they would understand their sense and their comfort with whether this is something they could do, right? Yeah. Um, because we have tried to realign where we could and, you know, have people, um, we had some pre-sales people who just did not feel they could get on a plane, either based on where they lived, quarantine issues, like you said, um, and so we, we had them do, all, you know, demonstrations virtually and other people who felt they could travel would travel. So we yeah. definitely did some of that workforce re-engineering. But yeah, for me, um, you know, I, uh, 
I don't know if I ever want to go back to, I, I'm a concierge key on American. I keep wondering when I'm going to lose that status. Cause like that's their top 1%. Um, yeah. So uh, there's a lot of perks with that, but, uh, but no, I just, um, you know, I think, I think we've made, we've come a long way and I do feel I'm, I'm actually excited about the resilience we've seen in the Americas. Clearly we're not seeing that everywhere globally, right? Um, you know, my counterpart um, over in, in Europe, um, you know, there, there was not quite as much optimism. Um, people tended to focus more internally and shut down. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased with um, how just pretty much all businesses and companies have shown great resilience. Um, it makes me feel proud, you know, of, of what's yeah. gone on. Super, super. Well, thank you so much. If people wanted to reach out and learn a little bit more, what's the best way to reach you? I am on um, both LinkedIn and Twitter, Lisa Pope uh, at Epicor. Okay, super, super good. I'll publish those along with, with the, the notes on this. I really appreciate you taking the time. I've learned a lot. It's, it's, it's great to hear the kind of resilience that that you and the organization have gone through and, and how you've kind of led your customers where they really need yep. a lot of leadership. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Dave. I really appreciated it. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.